see you. Oh yeah, and that's Batman. Batman's real? Yeah, he's over there. Wait, what? It is a real honor to meet you, sir. Batman, sir, ba Batman, sir. <clears throat> Don't bother, the guy's a total tool. I followed your efforts in Central City, Flash. You do tight, efficient work. Hey, Barry, you uh, got a little something on your nose. To the fourth mother box, and I am currently still coming to you live from Walt Disney World in Florida at the time of this recording. My name is Tom Oakery, normally hailing from another hotel in Phoenix, Arizona. And alongside me, as always, is Kyle Cosentino, and he's from the city of Chicago, Illinois, who has an average cholesterol of 200 over butter. How the hell are you today, Kyle? I'm just well. How are you, Tom? Not too shabby. I'm a little sunburned, but I'm alive. Well, good. Um, all right. So, hey, you know, you had made mention uh, a couple of weeks ago that you wanted to talk about the definitive superhero known as the Batman. How about we do that today? I was talking about Condiment King. Oh, Condiment King? Oh, man. Well, Condiment King's going to be about... Does that screw up the show today? I mean... Well, I mean, we could we could talk about Condiment King, but I'm going to need to do some prep because those shows are going to be about five, you know, five hours long because Condiment King is so complex. Yeah, you know what? We probably should just talk about Batman instead because <laughs> of the complexity of Condiment King. Okay. Okay. We should talk about Condiment King sometimes, though, because he does shine in the Harley Quinn animated series um, that I can't wait for a season three for. Get on that already, DC. Yeah. Let's go. Um, and, but uh, before for sure, yeah. But before we do that, we got some news and possibly a rumor to to talk about in the comic, the movie world, the world of fantasy, and of course, I'm going to snap on something since I've been at Disney World this week. Um, something that's really grinding my gears. But news first, and Kyle, this first one you actually uh, reached out to me and you were pretty excited about. So I'll let you take the reins here. But Titan Season 3, um, which is rumored to be coming out sometime this summer, has cast none other than Jonathan Crane, a.k.a. the Scarecrow. Um, how do you feel about that? I can't wait. And I think uh, Titans kind of had a rocky start a little bit in the first season, but uh, I think they really took off in the second season with the introduction of Deathstroke. I thought the costume looked amazing. The cast started to kind of you know feel more relaxed and coming into their character. So the fact that they're casting one of my like top, you know, um, favorite villains, I'm very excited for it. And I know we saw it like, you know, uh, Scarecrow in Batman Begins, and, but I'm, I'm kind of looking to see like maybe a more comic book accurate. So I'd love, I can't wait to see what they do with it. I'd love to give us more of an Arkham-like Scarecrow. Um, that, that Scarecrow is almost per perfect, um, how he torments you with his fear toxin. Um, but what I read a little bit about that, maybe you did too, was Jonathan Crane, he's in, he's, he's locked up in Arkham in this season of Titans, and he's going to be more or less somewhat of a help to the Gotham City Police Department as they're dealing with psychotics. So we might, maybe we might see Nightwing going to talk to Jonathan Crane a little bit. Um, but I'm sure... Uh, his intentions are are not for good, and I'm sure he'll be up to something. So it should be it should be pretty interesting. Um, I want to I want to comment on something you you said about Titan season one. Why do you think it started kind of slow? Because I actually love the first season of Titans, especially the stuff with Raven and Trigon, and um, them kind of getting into Dick's backstory. I don't know. It just like something about it just felt a little flat for me, and. Hmm. Even with the season two, like the first episode was about Trigon, and I felt like that was supposed to be the season finale of season one. And I don't know mm -hmm. why they did that. Maybe it was like a, you know, some sort of um, conflict of like shooting or something like that. But 
it just didn't feel like completely on to me. And I, I still have a few issues with Titans. I think, you know, um, I don't like who they cast for Batman for Bruce Wayne. Oh, and yeah. I just feel like he, you know, as much as I love his work in Game of Thrones, and I'm like blanking on his name at the moment, but uh, he just doesn't fit as Batman, like to me. Like they could have easily just put like Kevin Conroy if they wanted an older actor. They could have put like Kevin Conroy, which would have been like beautiful, um, or really anybody that kind of looks more the part. And just for me, he. He's kind of got the gravitas as an actor, which is great. And you need that is for somebody who's playing Batman. But it, it just like the look was completely off to me. I agree with you there on, on Bruce. I always felt that was, that was hard, for me, hard for me to make that connection with that actor. And I'm spacing out his name, too. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. I think Titan season three, especially with the emergence of Red Hood, eventually, obviously, um, with, with Jason Todd being a prominent character, um, I'd love to see Damian Wayne get involved with these Titans eventually. Um, we'll see. You know, there's a lot coming up. So speaking of DC, and maybe we'll hear more at this DC fandom event, but uh, DC fandom was super popular in an event that debuted last year, 2020, during the pandemic. It was very unique. It was an all-virtual event. Um, this is when we saw a first little glimpse of the Snyder Cut at the first DC fandom. We saw the first trailer from the Batman um, we heard news about Black Adam. Um, we saw a trailer for Wonder Woman 84 well before it was released. We got a lot of great comic news. And if you just are a fan of DC in general, DC fandom is the place. So it's returning this year in October. Um, what do you want to see out of this, Kyle? Um, for me specifically, real quick, I want to hear some major updates on two specific things. And they're this under the same category and they're video games. I want to know about the Suicide Squad killed the Justice League game. And I want to know more about Gotham Knights. Like, give me everything you know about these games and give me a release date for God's sake. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go off a little bit on, on that uh, because I was super excited I, for like, Suicide Squad, I think that game is going to be amazing. But Gotham Knights really upset me. Like, because I, as much as, you know, Batman has his, you know, the Batman family, which they're great, but on their own, I just feel like I don't have much of an interest. And I think that this direction was like a really poor way to go with it. Because I, I think you can't have a game without Batman. And I'm sure he's probably going to be in it be alive and everything but i, I just think there's just something missing if you're not you're around batman i get it that they want to be different but i just think that <laughs> maybe not the best way to go i mean there's so many other if dc superheroes that they could have made a game around like they could have done one about superman for example or wonder Woman, or, or any anybody else but the bat family just seems like i i don't know I just, I'm going to wait. I'm going to reserve my judgment until I see the game. I'm sure I'm definitely going to buy it because it's, it's, you know, I can't not buy it, but I'm not, it's I'm not bad. as excited. I'm not as excited as, as I wanted to be. Cause I thought it would be about the court of owls, which is one of the involving Batman. So we'll see. I think I, I really still think the court of owls, court of owls are going to be involved in that game heavily. And you just can't do the court of owls, uh, storyline without Bruce Wayne Batman involved in it so I'm with you there I'm still I'm more excited about Gotham Knights because I do love the Bat family and I'll be interested to see like how the different fighting dynamics in the game between every single one of the Bat family members um, so it should be interesting it should be fun um, so moving along some Marvel news um, Captain America 4 um, wasn't officially announced but everybody is saying that Cap 4 is coming with uh, Sam Wilson, who has officially taken over the shield and is now Captain America, will be portraying the, um, I almost said Cape Crusader because we're talking about Batman, but it will be portraying Captain America. Um, funny story, um, Anthony Mackie found out about Captain America 4 from a, a grocery store clerk. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, um, I, I heard that. That's hilarious. It, that is that is pretty funny. He was checking out at the store, and the guy's like, "Yo, you know, Anthony, you know, is this true?" And he showed him that Cap, Captain America four was announced, and then he, Anthony Mackie laughed it off and just said he didn't know about it. And then he just went on to say that uh, Kevin Feige and Marvel they keep things pretty tight lipped, and anytime they share news, it's always in person. It's not over Zoom calls or it's not over 
you know, a telephone call or anything like that. So I'm excited for Captain America four. Um, again, cause I was intrigued by Sam Wilson's arc in Falcon and the, and the winter soldier. I'd like to see more of it. Um, I'd like to see him go up against Madame Hydra and her dark Avengers team of us agent and whoever else that she might recruit. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Zemo will be a part of that. Um, what do you want to see out of cap Four? I want to see his suit fixed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, well, I was looking at it again. I was looking at it again, and it's not as bad as like you know uh, I originally talked initially talked about. I think my my issue with it is that it's really just the cowl part of it. Like I don't know why I just in the color scheme. Like I think mm-hmm. if they just I know they want to be comic book accurate, but you know we know you know as well as I do that the comics doesn't always translate well into real life. I think they need sure. to throw some more more color in there. Um, get rid of so much white, maybe do some more red, kind of like his original Falcon uh, uniform or suit. I kind of like that, but maybe make it more Captain America-y. But yeah, yeah again, totally. like, I think this is going to be a great movie. I think it's uh, Anthony Mackie's a great actor. He's going to own this role. And I think all they really need to do is, is get a good story and a plot line and a villain. Um, and I'll be sold for sure. Yes. More more John Walker, more better too, especially if they get him in a villain role. And I read something too that they, uh, the the showrunner of Falcon and the Winter Soldier said their their goal was to make everybody like John Walker at the end of the series. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I was kind of enjoying not liking him, or I, I was kind of enjoying his, the, the arc that he was going down, like the evil take, the way this the soldier super serum was having an effect on him. I don't know. I like the evil I- storylines. I think what they're going to do, and this is inevitably what Marvel always does with their villains, is that they're going to humanize him and yeah. kind of make him maybe an anti-hero or like, you know, not like full evil. And I, I can't really think of anybody in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's like a fully evil person. Um, one other thing I was going to say about that is I think it would be interesting in Cap 4 to bring back the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's stuck. Um, oh, where's he stuck? He, He's Which stone Vormir. was it? He, the soul stone. Vormir, that's stuck, right. Yeah, Vormir. And yep. I mean, he could come back. I mean, I know the original actor said he didn't want to do it. So then they used um, uh, Ross Marquand, who is like a brilliant impressionist, as uh, the oh, Red Skull. Perfect. And yeah. I think, you know, even have him do it. I mean, like he looked the part. I mean, it looked fantac- uh, fantastic during uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. So. Yes, it did. I actually had no idea that it was a different actor. <laughs> until oh, that. yeah. Yeah. So I, didn't, I didn't know that either when I, we originally first watched it. But then I looked into it and, mm-hmm. and uh, they said the original actor, Hugo Weaving, was not interested in reprising the role, which um, is surprising. Um, but I think it, it ultimately came down to like a, a money issue like it always comes down to. So I would I just think, you know, the Red Skull is just a prominent Marvel character, especially in the Captain America universe and wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be crazy to have him come back and be one of the villains uh, maybe like you know for the superhero or the supervillain team up and maybe even throw like modok in there because we haven't seen him um some of the other you know prominent villains i think it would be i think it would be cool kind of like uh, you know um legion of doom type of scenario yes i am all for that i love the villain team ups bring it all on That'd be interesting. So moving along to a galaxy far, far away, um, Ewan McGregor is starting to talk a little bit more about the series that I am by far most excited for coming to Disney Plus for Star Wars, and that's the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which, as everybody knows, this is set to take place after Revenge of the Sith. So Luke and Leia, they're still very young. They're babies. It's a couple of years. Darth Vader just turned into Darth Vader. We're a couple of years past that. And Obi-Wan Kenobi's on Tatooine watching over a very, very young Luke Skywalker. And Luke doesn't know of his existence yet. Um, but you, uh, you and McGregor really didn't rule out a young Luke appearance in the Kenobi series. Um, so that kind of begs the, begs the question a little bit that he mentioned that. Um, and that people are asking that. Of course, everyone wants to see their favorite Jedi, Luke Skywalker. Even a younger version of him that we haven't seen before. Maybe around the same age that we saw Anakin in the phantom menace about nine or 10 years old there um what would the ideal kenobi series look like now um and at least for me um 
you know, being the bigger Star Wars fan of the two, I really want to see Obi-Wan and Vader, you know, there to be a lot of buildup to this epic finale of a clash that they have. Because obviously we know when the last time that Vader and Obi-Wan do battle, Vader strikes Obi-Wan down and Obi-Wan turns into a force ghost. That's in episode four, A New Hope happens right in front of Luke. We know that Obi-Wan does it on purpose to set some events in motion to get Luke on the right path. Yada, yada, yada. I can go on forever on that. Um, I think what we we all want to see is for them to bring back Jar Jar Binks, which is easily the most popular character in the Star Wars universe. Get the fuck off of my podcast. (laughs) Or just bring him back to like um, throw him in the Sarlacc pit or something like that. You know, there were no, you know, uh, you know, it's and it's and it's I don't I don't hate Jar Jar Binks like everybody does. And um, is he needed? No. Would it be interesting to see him return? I'm not going to lie. Probably, um, especially for the actor and the, the poor actor who played Jar Jar Binks, all the hate that he got. He's like, he's just doing a damn job, um, you know, and, and he did a good job at playing the character. He did exactly what you needed the character to do. Um, and this is a time period that Jar Jar's around and he knows Obi-Wan. So it's, it's, it's funny. You make a joke about it, Kyle, but it's very possible that Jar Jar Binks shows up in this series <laughs> now that I think about it and talk out loud. But I think it would be, I'm be honest- interesting to bring back Mace Windu. Cause like, you kind of don't know if he really died or not. And let's face oh, it, Sam did. Jackson. <laughs> He's dead. Sa- I mean, is he? It'd be cool. Well, you know, Luke Skywalker fell from a, you know, uh, a really high place and he survived. I mean, they really didn't, as far as I know, they really didn't comment on whether he was actually dead or not. And I mean, let's face it, like Sam Jackson just adds a lot to it. You know what I mean? It's true. Um, I mean, we know that we know that Mace Window is a force ghost in episode nine because he does communicate to Ray when she's reaching up to all the rest of the Jedi towards the end there as she's kind of clinging on to life. But um, I would say or- that in the last Skywalker portrayed himself as a real, uh, you know, True. like he was really there, but he wasn't. True. I mean, I mean, anything's anything's possible. If we get Mace Windau back, I'd, I'd be more than happy with it. But I think, I mean, he would have to have survived literally a Sith lightning blast. Like he was getting his ass shocked for like what felt like twenty minutes, <laughs> and then eventually Anakin did the deed and 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 shot him off. So you've got the Emperor, you know, and this one of the strongest Jedi ever to exist, Anakin Skywalker, kind of taking you out. If Mace Windu survived that, he's by far the most like the strongest Jedi ever to exist. So, if Sam Jackson does show, I mean, I mean, why why couldn't we get a Force Ghost maybe of of Mace Windu talking to Obi Wan Kenobi? I'd be down for that. I mean, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But like you were saying, I think <laughs> I I personally didn't really get into um, the episodes one through three. But mm-hmm. I think you know this is really. I mean, it was just kind of like the '90s when these came out, right? I mean, the old school ones are untouchable, of course. But and even if you look at it back at the old school ones from today's standards, like it's you know, if you remade them today, they would be like the production value would be insane. But um, I don't know. It just like the storyline was really convoluted in the first couple of episodes, and I think Ewan McGregor was it was great, and so was Liam Neeson. Um, reason it it didn't really do much for me personally oh we're gonna have to have a star wars episode one day um the prequels are actually my wife's favorite uh, um trilogy of all the three and really uh, we yeah we have a really good defense of it too i i tend to like anakin and padme's love story a lot more than i do like han and leia's and Courtney and I were just talking about that while we were standing in line for the Millennium Falcon the other day. Um, but we can we could save that because I want to pull some buddies of mine um, who I'm going to see this week and who are popular um, hosts of the podcast Jedi Talk um, out there um, into our episode. So let's save all that Star Wars talk and move it along. But what but what I do want to see out of, out of the Kenobi series is I want to know how Obi Wan ends up getting the Skywalker saber. Um, you know, and this is a chance for Hayden Christensen to redeem himself too in the, in the eyes of Star Wars purists. Uh, he's, he's gotten, he's received a lot of hate for his portrayal of Anakin. Um, Anakin is portrayed a lot better on the Clone Wars series, the, the animated series on Disney plus, 
Um, but I'm really, I can't wait to see more of Anakin, more Anakin, more better. Um, cause he's a conflicted character and he, he's my favorite character in all of star Wars. I don't see why he got hate. I thought he did great. It was really more of his acting. Um, go back and watch some of those. Like, like I'll, I'll send you some specific scenes and I think it was more of his acting and he was just, I think Hayden Christensen's a good actor. He was just, the script sometimes could have, it just didn't serve him right. Um, but I can get off on a tangent talking about that. Um, but sure. I'm going to move on a little bit more DC news. Um, Margot Robbie uh, specifically came out and called Harley Quinn, or at least her version of Harley Quinn in the upcoming Suicide Squad movie, a catalyst of chaos. Um, so we already know that Harley is pretty much a catalyst of chaos. What we've seen in her originally in the suicide, the first Suicide Squad movie and essentially in the sequel of Birds of Prey. Um, and now in the upcoming the Suicide Squad movie with really she's only teaming back up with Captain Boomerang and Rick Flag. And there's a lot more new villains that she's going to meet up with. Um, what do you want to specifically see out of Harley Quinn in the Suicide Squad, Kyle? You know, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing more Harley Quinn. I think Margot Robbie's really done a great job at bringing this character to life. And even though I have my issues with Birds of Prey, like I love seeing her I mean, as, Mar uh, as Harley Quinn. And I, I, I really don't have anything else to say more than that. I think it just more Harley mm -hmm. Quinn is going to be a really good thing. I love the uh, animated series. Like I'm like obsessed with that. And I didn't, I think, you know, here's a character that they've had around for a while, but they just kind of really brought to life. And if I'm not mistaken, I think her comics are one of the highest selling comics at the moment, or at least in the past few years. They are. They are. That's, that's why, that's why they, they, you know, went and capitalized on birds of prey. Harley's a very popular comic and some of her storylines post Joker breakup is, are some of the best Harley Quinn storylines out there. Um, really? I, yes. I, 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 especially the stuff with her and poison Ivy. It's really, really good. Um, I, check it out. I always, I always thought like they would have done really well at doing the mad love storyline. I thought that was oh, a yeah. brilliant, brilliant storyline. That would have been perfect. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, there's quite a bit of Harley Quinn stories that in, both include the Joker and that don't include the Joker, um, that would translate well on the big screen or even even animated flicks. Um, but the the whole comment that Margot Robbie said that she's a catalyst of chaos is incredibly encouraging, and, and I was already have a high, you know, expectations for the Suicide Squad. Um, but I, you know, look to the animated films like. Suicide Squad, Bend to Hell, and Suicide Squad, Assault on Arkham. Or actually, no, that's not a Suicide Squad one. That's that's a Batman flick, the Batman Assault on Arkham, and then Suicide Squad, Bend to Hell. Um, Harley is completely like off the rails in those flicks, and that's exactly the the type of Harley Quinn that you pull from from the comics. You know, she's kind of she does she does her own thing, and um, you know she'll storm the gates before the rest of the team is ready, or she's off doing her own thing and saving somebody else in the, in the, in the suicide squad doesn't know where she's at. Um, that's the kind of Harley Quinn that I think we haven't necessarily really seen yet. Um, in the first movie, she was close to the team. She was just trying to make her way back to the Joker birds of prey. It was all about post Joker. And now she's been on her own for a little bit. Um, she's really probably ready to fuck some shit up. Um, yeah. When does that come up? Uh, August. August. Okay. Um, so um, HBO Max and in theaters everywhere. So if you're a theater goer, which I highly recommend, let's get back to the theaters, people. Uh, it's time to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So some Mortal Kombat um, and Injustice NetherRealm Studios is reportedly working on a Marvel fighting game, um, which unfortunately means maybe Injustice 3 is getting put on hold, which I know you are probably have a stroke about hearing. Um, and I do too. Uh, you, you know, I think the Injustice storyline is a bit like, I think the first and second one were great. I mm -hmm. don't know if there's much more to explore there as far as like a story goes. I mean, obviously the games are great, but I think I would want to preserve that story as much as possible because okay. even in the That's comic right. books, they had the huge storyline of Injustice and they explore so much more into Superman kind of going nuts and taking over everything. 
uh, more so than the game. And it kind of deviates from the game a little bit, but then they kind of like, they finished that and then they went into like a season two of it. And I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, you don't, you got a great thing and you don't want to overdo it. And that's, that's mm-hmm. my big thing. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, but if they're working on a Marvel fighting game, man, give me some, give me an update of Marvel versus Capcom. God, give me a really good Marvel versus Capcom or, or do it like, like, Mar- make it like injustice. Like instead yeah. of just, you know, fighting each other, make it a, a well in depth, sto- like a well-written story. Like that would be really cool. And a kind of a first for Marvel. There would be, maybe you can get Thanos. Maybe he's got the infinity gauntlet and he takes some of the Avengers under his control and they make him fight the other Avengers. And then they have to team up together and get the rest of the Marvel universe together. Like you can get X-Men involved, fantastic four. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. I want to see that. All right, let's do that. So, um, and move it more, more Marvel stuff. Speaking of Thanos, I got to call ESPN out. So, um, a couple of days ago, um, was the anniversary, uh, two years, uh, since Endgame was released, if you could believe it already. Um, I know wow. that's a really, it's a really memorable day for you and I, and my wife seen, watching Endgame at Disney world. Um, Never forget that. That was that was pretty epic. Um, but ESPN, you know, their parent company is Disney, who owns Marvel, who owns ESPN. Some interns getting fired because they messed up and they tweeted an endgame mistake. So um, it was Thanos. It was it was obviously a Photoshop picture of Thanos, like walking away after making a basket. They were incorporating sports here. And they're like two years ago, Thanos called endgame. Um, no, I'm sorry. This was. Uh, uh, yeah, and they were right about the it two years being the end game, but they got the storyline wrong because they were referencing to um, what Thanos did in Infinity War. So is this pissed off a lot of nerds? And um, ESPN since then took the tweet down and, and fixed it. But but I gotta call them up. Like if you're the in, if you're the interim, you know, posting this, you know, know your audience and know that especially the nerd fandom is gonna come come at you with pitchforks yeah, we come we uh we are a passionate bunch and we will come down on you hard if you are misrepresenting our universe in any way mm-hmm. speaking of um coming down on things hard disneyland it and today it is april 30th um depending on whenever we end up posting this officially uh, to our channels but today's april 30th and kyle that means disneyland is reopening today um, it's reopening to California residents only on, and at 25% capacity, but I don't care at the point, the fact that it's open cast members are getting back to work and the magic has returned to Southern California means a lot. Um, so the reason why I mention this is because Sam Wilson, um, is actually getting a meet and greet at Disneyland, uh, the Sam Wilson, Captain America. So that's pretty cool. Um, the way they're doing meet and greets now are from a distance. Uh, the characters are standing at least six feet apart uh, in the background and people can jump in the front and get pictures with them. But, um, you know, Steve Rogers, Captain America used to be a meet and greet at California Adventure. And now they're going to do Sam Wilson. I think that's cool. Um, I think that's really cool. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm so excited to see that. I'm so happy uh, to see that they reopened. The world needs it. Speaking of, do you remember uh, Mickey Minnie's Runaway Railway Railroad that we uh, rode last year? Yeah, that absolutely. That is coming. That is coming to Disneyland officially in June of two uh, two thousand twenty three. Uh, they're currently working on that in Toontown, so it'll That's be both great. east and west coast. That's so, great. Speaking of Disney, um, if you have been to Disney World or Disneyland and in Galaxy's Edge, and been on Rise of the Resistance. And and Kyle and I talked about this on the last podcast. We both put Rise of the Resistance very, very high in our top um, attractions list um, for due reason, because the whole ride is incredible from start to finish. Even if you're not a Star Wars nerd uh, and big fans like we are, the actual ride itself is just like I like to say a lot. It'll blow your damn balls off. So um, and I want to make mention of the trip that I'm currently on and the odd thing that happened with Rise of the Resistance and eventually uh, just a quick story of how we hold, how we, Rise of Resistance and Disney kind of redeemed themselves. So, Kyle, I haven't even told you this story yet. So um, on Tuesday, we tried to get a boarding pass at 7 a.m. when we were going to Hollywood Studios. Didn't get one for whatever reason. 
um, freaked out a bit because I'm haven't heard many stories about people getting a boarding pass on the second drop at 1 PM at the Disney theme parks. So for those of you who are unaware to get on rise of resistance, you need a boarding pass and they, they only release them at 7 AM and 1 PM the same day. You don't have to be in the park. You could be in your resort room, but you have to have valid theme park admission and theme park reservations to Hollywood studios that day. So we didn't get one. So 1 PM rolls around. I'm just, Fingers crossed, looking to try it. My wife and I are, are underneath the cave that leads you into Galaxy's Edge in the shade, waiting for 1 p.m. to strike. Um, it hits. I join the boarding group, um, the uh, waiting queue, and it, get everywhere through. I get boarding group 133. I thought it was pretty high, but I was really happy to get a boarding group. Just so happened that it, it was eventually going to cross over and they called our boarding group when we had a dinner reservation, but we decided to ditch the, din the, di the dinner reservation till later to go on rides of the resistance because I couldn't believe that they were that far deep into the boarding groups because they normally don't get that far. So we get through the queue, um, parts of the queue that we haven't seen before. And then we get right before we're about ready to land on the transport with the resistance where Lieutenant Beck is take, it was supposed to take us to the secret base of the resistance. Um, and they stopped us before the transport and made us go left down a hallway that said crew members only. And we walked down the hallway and it was obvious this was a backstage area meant for cast members only. I freaked and I thought we walked off a rise of resistance right before I'm about to step on. That was not the case. Um, supposedly, um, as we walked through the hall, we entered the hangar bay area of Rise of the Resistance, right behind two stormtroopers. We're behind a desk in the hangar bay that holds about, I don't know, there's like 50 stormtroopers in there that some look at you, some shake their heads, um, some move. Um, so basically what happened was, the and those of you who are, have been on Rise before and seen the whole experience, they skipped two pre-show parts, took you backstage, kind of broke the fourth wall, and took you right into the hangar bay without any explanation. I was pretty bummed about this, um, and uh, bummed about it too because uh, my brother-in-law is with us, and it's the first time he's gone on Rise of, of the Resistance. Um, but everything else worked to perfection. The actual ride itself, once you get on and you're broken out by the resistance, was phenomenal. Um, but and then Thursday rolls around and uh, we get boarding group number two of all things. Freaking two. Wow. Um, and my wife and I get to ride Rise of Resistance again. And it was the same thing, unfortunately. Everything worked, but we got taken through backstage. Um, my brother-in-law wasn't there at the time. He had to do something for work, but he came back. And my buddy Brad, who's co-host of Jedi Talk, was in Hollywood Studios yesterday. And he specifically came. He, he wanted to try to see um, the crazy you know, backstage area entrance of how we got loaded on to Rise of the Resistance because he's been on it close to 40 times. And he um, wanted to see this different way because uh, he's, he's an annual pass holder. But he came, he went on the ride and said, Dude, they loaded the regular way, so everything was fixed. And I was thinking to myself, like, crap. You know, Zach didn't get a chance. My my brother-in-law didn't get a chance to um, experience the full ride, and we didn't get to see the full ride. So um, I got to say specifically, publicly, thank you to Brad and his and his wife, Holly, who have, um, you know, recommended us going to guest services because we went to guest services who then told us to go back to Rise of the Resistance to talk to the ride operators. And I talked to the ride operators specifically by the name of Shinya um, over there. And I want to call out and I give a cast compliment already to guest services about Shinya. But um, we explained the situation. Shin Shinya walked away for a second, came back, let us get on Rise of the Resistance again. And we got to ride it two times in one day. And the second time was the full experience, every single pre-show. Wow. So um, I'm now in an exclusive Rise of the Resistance two times in one day club. So I just wanted to share that story of a little Disney magic. Is anybody else in that club? Because I would find it hard to believe. Yes. Um, Evan and Brad are. Um, and anybody who is at Disney World um, on opening day of Rise of, of the Resistance. They were letting people on multiple times that day, apparently. Jeez. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's a small group. Wow. Well, at least it, you know, you got on because that, that ride 
breaks down frequently. And uh, I think, yeah. I, I think you'd agree with me is if, if I said that if you didn't go on any rides, but that one, it's worth it. It's worth Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's, it's incredible. And especially if you're a star crazy about star Wars and you haven't done it yet, get going, get going, please. Um, real quick to wrap up news. Um, there's a rumor speaking of star Wars that somebody's making a Mandalorian game. I don't know about you, Kyle, but that would be pretty cool. Well, I think it's it would be it would only make sense, and because this mm-hmm. show like blew up, and it would only make sense to you know expand it as much as possible, and a video game would be just would be super super cool, especially with Fallen Order and how awesome that game was. I mean, I would love to you know uh, take the I would love to play that game. You know what I mean? Like a Mandalorian yes. game that would be really cool. Especially you can be Baby Yoda. <laughs> Grogu, Grogu. If you could be Grogu, like controlling a bunch of like stormtroopers with the force, uh, that, oh my god, how cute would that be? Yeah. Um, and last but not least, um, May the Fourth is coming up, and um, as far as Star Wars TV, we're getting um, the Bad Batch to debut on Disney Plus. Now, this is a an extension of the Clone Wars series. The Bad Batch was introduced in season seven. There are a bunch of clones who are defective to say the least and they're a team that go by the name of the bad batch and they all have like special abilities one of them is stronger than hell the other is just smart um somebody might be an assassin or like a guns expert and i'm calling this clone war season eight um but 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 we'll see we'll see i'm intrigued being a star wars fan i can't wait to to check it out on disney plus so um Speaking of movies, Kyle, and fantasy, um, we had a uh, little bit of a nostalgic movie release this week, um, or this past week, in Mortal Kombat on HBO Max. Uh, did you get to finish it, and what did you think about it quickly? Yeah, I, uh, I definitely watched it the first day, and although I was kind of, the only disappointment I had with it is that they didn't use really use the old school theme song, or they didn't really update <laughs> it in the greatest way, because that right. was just core to, you know, that franchise, but it was a fun movie. It was brutal. <laughs> um, and I, like, you know, when I watched it, I kind of wanted more after it. And played Kano was, was really good. He was really, he had a really interesting personality. It was really funny. But yeah, I would love to see more of this. I definitely think they're going to green light it. And uh, I definitely recommend anybody to watch, to, you know, who's into Mortal Kombat to go see it. Yeah, that was a fun movie. I agree. Um, I found myself just enjoying it. I didn't have many expectations for it. Um, I saw the original Mortal Kombat in the 90s and the Mortal Kombat Annihilation as a kid, and I thought those were great as a kid. But as I got older, I realized how god-awful they actually really are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, um, definitely. So I was looking forward to this reboot. Um, it was so much gorier. It was true to the, true to the you know, video game. You know, uh, again, this is a movie after a video game, so... <laughs> And it, it was true to that. Um, I think every single actor and act, uh, actress that they picked for these for these characters were spot on, um, especially Liu Kang. Um, he, he, you know, he's he's kind of always the beacon of hope in in the game. And um, it was it was cool to have some of the cheesy things like the when uh, Kung Lao did the flawless victory thing. I chuckled and um, yeah, uh, it was it was it was fun. So yeah, I I. Again, um, it's kind of like a, a fun, mindless watch. And just just like you said, Kyle, I'm very much looking forward to more. So um, so we talked about Disney a little bit, and that got me really, really snappy this week. So step aside, Kyle. This ginger's going to snap on something before we get to talking about the Batman. And today's topic is typical Disney park goers and your bad habits. I've bumped into a lot of fat Lindas this week and fat Lenners. And boy, oh boy, <laughs> do I have a lot of problems with you people. First off, walking in a single file line is like the first thing you learn in preschool. Did did these people just pick their ass and and eat paste instead of watching the teacher and the teacher's aide who had a really rough night at the Lusty Leopard the previous night? It's really fucking quite simple. You walk at a decent pace and stop stopping on a dime and bending over to pick up the double fudge sundae you just dropped. Go get a new one from the Diamond Horseshoe, you fat shit. We're in a pandemic at a theme park. Get your fourth chin off my shoulder, Chad, and stand on the marker. Some cast members spent hours upon hours 
placing down every six feet so we can enjoy Walt Disney World again. And do you really need to turn your seizure-inducing flashlight on on purpose on a dark ride to record a Grady video to post on your Facebook mom page just bragging about where your cheating husband took you and your kids? The answer is no. No, you don't. Have some manners in the theme parks, people, and for God's sake, pull your fucking pants up. Ah. Okay. Kyle, let's okay. take a quick break. All righty. Let's take a quick break, get this message, and let's talk about the Batman after the break. All righty. Welcome back into the fourth mother box. It is time to talk about the definitive superhero, our favorite, the Batman. So, Kyle, you know, you, you know, you know, I feel like you've, you've got, uh, you're, you're, you're closer. You've, your fandom's probably a little bit more crazier with, with the Batman, um, especially when it comes to, you know, specifically flicks and, his his comic storyline. So I want to start this first question off. Ask you specifically, for us, what makes Batman the best? Well, thank you, Tom, for asking me because I I feel like there are so many reasons. And notes for the podcast, and I was trying to think about why Batman is the best. I came up with five different things, and I'm going to try and get okay. through them and not go into like an hour long talk, which I could absolutely do. <laughs> um, so I would say, firstly, he's only human. He has weaknesses and vulnerabilities. He doesn't deal with problems like other superheroes have to. I mean, he has to think differently about them. And that's what makes him great. And that's what makes people connect with him. I would also say that, number two, he's a master technician. He always finds a creative way to win. He's not the same as other superheroes. So, like, an enemy appears in super uh, in Superman in a Superman story. You kind of know what Superman's going to do. With Batman, it's always something different, and it's always kind of like a creative way of dealing with it. And I always really like that about him. Uh, number three, he's the ideal man. He's peak physical and mental perfection. He's mastered his mind, and he's mastered his physical physique. I mean, I think many men really can aspire to be like that. I think that's uh, he's the ultimate role model in some respects. Number four, he's just so cool. I mean, there's <laughs> nobody cooler than Batman. I mean, he's got the car, he's got the gadgets, he's got the lifestyle. I mean, really, that's enough said. There's a reason why Jay Leno has, I think he, he has a garage filled with cars, but he's got the Tumblr. I think he's got the old school Batmobile. But um, if I had all that money, I would abs- that would be like my first purchase, hands down. Nice. Like. Give me a full bat suit, authentic. Give me a Batmobile, and uh, you're going to see me on the the nine o'clock news driving. That's for sure. <laughs> Le- and last and most importantly, this is why I love Batman. He's an excellent metaphor for never giving up, no matter what the odds are. Batman, as stated, is just a man. The fact, however, that this fact, however, doesn't stop him from standing up against borderline invulnerable characters like mm-hmm. Superman. Doomsday and even Dark Side. I think you know you love the scene just as much as me when he dodged Dark Side's Omega Beans. Dark Side was like confused as like nobody's ever done this, and he's just a man. Yeah. But I think this is really why people connect with him so well, because in some way it gives them the confidence to be greater and stand up to the impossible. And I think that's that's definitely something everybody can you know, connect with. And so that's why, you know, some of the few reasons why I really love Batman so much. Yeah. And that, and that kind of, and that really leads into the segue. And I can't say anymore. You, you nailed it on the head with every single one of those. And that leads into the segue is like, why is Batman so relatable? Cause that's why he's the best for me. Cause he is so relatable. You know, he's faced real life challenges at a vulnerable age that set the tone for who he would be and what he would eventually become it shaped him. It shaped him. You know, he's turned into Batman and he's faced some out of this world things in the comic books. Um, you know, things that we would never face, you know, uh, um, a man made of clay who used to be an actor would never threaten, or at least, I, I don't know, a lot of crazy shit happened last year and this year. So who the hell knows what the future holds, but it's almost hard to conceive that a man made of clay would come down to attack everybody. Um, uh, and that Batman could stop him, but but we can relate um, 
to this character because, you know, the general population of people out there, comic readers or just moviegoers who know who Batman is, um, they face similar challenges of loss, of grief, of depression and anger. And you see that out of Batman. Um, my favorite characters in comics and movies are the ones that I can relate to the most. Like, funny enough, like, my favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is Raphael because I, I had it, have a temper, you know, just like every other ginger does. Um, you know, I love Batman because he's brooding and you see him battling depression and anger and he's out for vengeance against those who have wronged others and he just wants to do what's right. Um, my favorite uh, of, of the Lightfoot characters and onward is Barley because he's the bigger guy and I've been a bigger guy some of my life. So it's like a lot, a lot of people relate with Batman and he's their favorite because they've lived through similar things. And Batman allows us to live through him seeking vengeance and doing what's right. Something that we as a people sometimes feel helpless to do. But if you see, if you see like an everyday human being, yes, he's rich and he's got almost an endless supply of tech because of his money, but he, it's possible. And like Batman says, there's always a way. Two. As he said in Arkham Asylum, it's one of my favorite quotes by him. Yes, yes, yes. So, Batman obviously, you know, is unique on his own right and not your typical superhero because he's a man. He's immortal. Uh, he's immortal. He's not immortal. He's a, just 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 a mere mortal, one person. Um, but the Justice League could never operate without him. Um, am I right? You know, it, the Justice League operates its smoothest and most efficiently when Batman runs it. Why is he so important to the Justice League, Kyle? Batman will literally fight until his final breath to save the world from destruction. He's fearless. He's always 10 steps ahead of everyone and always has a contingency plan. I think even Superman comments in, I think it was like the last episode of the Justice League Unlimited when Superman's fighting Darkseid alongside Batman, is that he comments that Batman is somebody that will never give up. He will fight until his final breath. And I, I think that's, you can't Justice League members. I mean, Batman has a brilliant mind, but it really can't match, obviously, Cyborg's, uh, you know, yeah. ability to hack into any computer and kind of, you know, take data from that. But there's just something more about him, and that's what makes him extra special. I mean, you can't really have superpowers for uh, willpower or determination. I mean, I think some people might give up before Batman. A lot. I think a lot of the superheroes would give up before Batman. Batman wouldn't, and that's what makes him special. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes from Justice League Dark is when um, Deadman um, tries to um, uh, possess Bru uh, Batman's body when Batman first meets like John Constantine, and they're, they're trying to figure out... Um, some of the kidnappings or some of the monster sightings in the city and dead man um, tries to possess Bruce and, uh, or Batman and dead man's like struggling trying to possess Batman because of how strong his mind is. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just, it just goes to show you that um, how strong willed one individual is. And he's not even a superhero to your point, just like what Superman has said about him, that he will fight until there's no will left. And I mean, there's never, there's never empty will in Bruce Wayne or Batman. Very true. That is very true. This is a great scene, by the way. Oh, that was a, that's, that's a spectacular scene. I knew, I knew that that uh, dead man wouldn't be able to uh, be able to do that. So, um, what? Uh, so it's it's kind of it's kind of talking about Bruce's brain for a second, and I'm gonna I'm gonna jump around here, and I'd really like to get your point of view on this. Um, so the complexity of like Bruce Wayne's mental health and, and Batman specifically, you know, he is a rogues gallery, which we'll talk about um, of villains, a lot of psychotics, obviously, infamously, the Joker, the Riddler, Jonathan Crane, the Scarecrow, um, pretty much anybody that he that he goes up against, you can say they're certifiably insane. Um, but what about his own mental health? Like, what does he suffer from that causes this vigilante? 
You know, uh, there's a lot of books about psychology and Batman. There's one that I read that was actually really good. Um, it's called The Psychology of Batman. And one of the things that I learned is about the way that he's written is kind of like his villains are a mirror image of himself in some ways, whereas Joker represents chaos, Batman represents you know, and a lot of villains are are written like that. I never knew that. And I thought that's brilliant. But when it comes to Bruce Wayne himself, I think that's where you get the real meat, you know, the real core um, to who he is and why he's so relatable and people can connect with him. But, uh, you know, from a mental health standpoint, and for those of you who don't know, I'm a mental health counselor, so I, I deal with these issues all the time. But I've kind of thought about it, and I think... Batman likely suffers from a number of mental health issues. Notably, probably the most prominent is post-traumatic stress disorder. But you could probably make the, the, uh, the argument that there's depression in there, obsessive compulsive disorder as well, and maybe even dissociative identity disorder. And dissociative identity disorder is kind of like the modern day term for multiple personality disorder. And it's kind of like where your whole persona shifts, like you become something else. And whether or not that's actually a real thing, because I think in some uh, circles it's still debated upon. But when Batman, Bruce Wayne puts on the mask, you can argue that he's not Bruce Wayne anymore. He's something completely different. But what I wanted to say is like what the brilliant thing about his complexity, even from a PTSD standpoint, Batman is driven by his traumatic experience as a child. He, he kind of lines up perfectly with some of the criteria for post-traumatic stress, notably the flashbacks, the nightmares, the hypervigilance, and the social withdrawal. Uh, social withdrawal. Um, all that matters to him is the mission. And maybe in some way, this helps him make sense of his parents' murder. And in the real world, it's actually not uncommon for people who go through traumatic issues to find a way to make meaning out of it. And, and uh, maybe even turn, a lot of them turn into social activism. For instance, the founder of MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, lost her daughter to a drunk driver. And I, I find that even working with PTSD patients, people who go through this, they can make meaning by turning it around in some way. And, and, and like, you know, the um, founder of MAD, like the founder of MAD did. And I think that's what really promotes healing. So kind of Batman, in some way, his war on crime is, is kind of like the, uh, you know, kind of growth you know what i mean and some mm -hmm. i don't know if i don't know if that would be the advice that i would give some one of my patients if if <laughs> they had lost their parents. but uh i think he he took it his and turned it around for something good and i think that's at the end of the day what you have to do to really survive something like ptsd I'm sure all the psychiatrists in Gotham City would love to get sit down with Batman and psychoanalyze that brain. Um, in Harley Quinn is infamous, infamously said it before, um, as she is Harley Quinzel is a uh, psychiatrist and has a PhD. Um, she'd love to sit down and pick that brain apart. Um, and the funny thing is, I think she was serious. So that's a, that's a spectacular point. I, I'm especially I'm in, I'm intrigued and I'm glad I heard more about the PTSD part about how complex Bruce's mental health is um, because he just nobody who's normal or in a right state of mind is going to do what Batman does. Um, he breaks the law. He's, he's, he's a vigilante, but eventually the law understands that they need him just as much as he needs them. Um, and uh, obviously eventually Batman becomes a staple in Gotham city, but, if if any of your patients try to do anything like that, even though you told them not to, they'd be arrested. So that's why comic books are fantasy. So speaking of comic books and storylines, who welcome back into the fourth mother box? Donald Duck must have tripped over the power cord and uh, unplugged us there for a second. Sorry about the technical difficulties, but you were saying something there, Kyle, before you got horrendously kicked out uh what was the last thing that you what, what was the last thing that you said um i had was talking about just Bat, uh, batman's ptsd uh specifically that somebody in their right mind would not choose vigilante <laughs> um as a way to cope because you'd get arrested in the real world like this that's why comic books are fantasy 
And I, I would, I would suspect that you would not recommend doing that to any of your patients to go out and uh, try to be Batman. Well, I would say this is that you could be Batman. Just don't break the law. You could be a superhero. You could be a superhero to people without breaking the law. That's what I would say. Very true. Great point. So speaking of fantasy and superhero without breaking the law, if you read comic books, that's not breaking the law. So which, so what are our favorite Batman stories from comics, Kyle, that you'd like to see made into the big screen movie or what DC does well in animated films that have not been made yet? Well, I would say, I would say that, let me first say, I've been saying this maybe for, for years is that, I really want to see Batman the Long Halloween. And mm. the fact that we just got a trailer drop for an animated film featuring one of my favorite actors, Jensen Ackles, voicing the Dark Knight. I am beyond, beyond excited for, for this. And for those of you who don't know about the Long Halloween, it tells a story of a mysterious killer named Holiday. And he murders people on holidays uh, one each month. And, and this actually storyline takes place over years. And Batman is, compl- uh, you know, Batman is really struggling to figure out who this is. And the great thing about the comic too is um, outside of the storyline is the animation. There's just something old school and old timey maybe about it. Mm-hmm. I've always, I've always loved that storyline. It's not necessarily like a, brutal Batman beat em up story. It's more of a detective and a mystery. And I actually a major influence in the upcoming. The... I would say I want to see that one and Batman Court of Owls. I know they kind of did a little bit in like Gotham and Batman vs. Robin, but I want the full story. And they... that was such a great story arc. And I feel like the whole story needs to be told. I could go yes, on and I on about one side that I want to see too. So I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got three specifically that I want to see. Um, you know, and I'm surprised you didn't mention Nightfall. I was that was my I next one. It's going to be Nightfall. Okay. okay, I was. I'm I, okay. So I started to steal your thunder because I know that's a that's a big. Uh, it's one of your favorite Bane moments with Batman, but we need Nightfall. That's, that's such a pivotal storyline. The fact that we haven't even gotten an animated version of that yet is insane. I mean, again, to your point about um, the Court of Owls comparison, we did see Tom Hardy's Bane break the back of Christian Bale's Batman in Dark Knight Rises. Um, it doesn't do that story justice, though. You're right. a, I think the great thing about Nightfall, for those of you who read it, is that, you know... Bane breaks Batman's back by he, he pushes Batman to his breaking point by exhausting him. And then he breaks his back. And then Batman becomes humanized and he is stubborn. Determined as Batman is, he becomes human and you, and you get to see his vulnerabilities in his way back. And I think. It really is. I would love to see that. Oh, yeah. That would be so great. Another thing I'd like to see that kind of shows us a vulnerable Batman is the new 52 zero year. We see the Riddler um, show up to the stage here. um, And we might get a little bit of this out of the Batman, just like you said, with the long Halloween. But again, I want a full one. I want to see the young Bruce Wayne against the Riddler. Who's got Gotham city down on lockdown. Um, And Batman, this young vigilante who is not, in bed with the police yet, you know, fighting to take his city back that is overgrown and taken over by the Riddler. I'd love to see that too. It's a great storyline. And another run, and I may mention this before on previous um, uh, uh, podcasts, but Death of the Family. Um, I need to see Death of the Family animated. I, I particularly want it animated. Um, unless yeah. Matt Unless unless Matt Reeves wants to specifically do a Death of the Family uh, storyline in one of his trilogy movies, I'd be completely happy with that, too. Um, but I want to see the stapled back on face of the Joker um, tormenting the Bat family. And I, I feel like this would only be done justice in an animated flick. God, that was such a well-written story. And the Joker looked horrifying, too. Yes, he did. Man. Yes, he Great did. Great work. Yes, he did. So that Death of the Family is my favorite Batman storyline. What would you give yours to? Oh, don't ask me that question. <laughs> Pick one. 
you're forced gun to your head pick one i'd say that as i mentioned are some of my favorite storylines i don't even know if i could pick i i really actually liked and maybe i might get some hate for this i really like the storyline in arkham knight i mean i think if it, it's just a really excellent buildup in in the storyline of um, you know the previous games, mm-hmm. kind of like you know Batman uh, taking on the Scarecrow and, and and stuff happening in Gotham and just everything that kind of transpired and him to kind of giving up the the call seemingly at the end. Uh, I would say I really like that one. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I don't think I could really put my finger on it. I would say. I really like Batman Under the Red Hood. Yeah. Um, Court of Owls, Long Halloween, Nightfall. I would say all of those like really come to mind when it or well, really, I if anything, and maybe I might say the Dark Knight Returns. They know the animated film like really resonates with me still. So mm-hmm. by gun to my head, I would say I'd probably go with that one. Okay. That's what I thought you'd go with. Um so as we're running out of time and wrapping up here, um, two and one here. What's your favorite movie with Batman in it? And who's your favorite cinematic Batman actor? Uh, I would say I would say The Dark Knight still because there's just so much about that movie. Like it just kind of coming off the success of Batman Begins. And just the way it opens, it just kind of explodes. And mm-hmm. that story and the inclusion of Heath Ledger's Joker, I always just love the fact that this was your real, your truest form of a real world Batman. One man's war on crime in his city, trying to save his city. And I think Christian Bale really, it, it just nailed it. And that's why I would pick him. I think, you know, I think we haven't seen our quintessential Batman movie yet. And um, we might get that with Robert Pattinson's The Batman. I just have a good feeling about it. I really do. But I would say favorite movie with Batman, Dark Knight, favorite uh, actor, Christian Bale. Yeah. Uh, Mine mine is kind of opposite of that. And we fought over this before. uh, But my favorite movie with Batman in it is now currently and this is not recency bias but it's Zack Snyder's Justice League um and my favorite Batman cinematic actor is number one Ben Affleck and number two Christian Bale is right after that um but Ben Affleck to me especially when you start comparing him to the likes of like the Batman animated series and when you rip him off of the comic books at least the comics that I prefer and I like and that I've resonated with God, I think Ben Affleck's done a job with it. And maybe we should call him Snyder's Batman. Maybe I, I have to give more credit to Zack Snyder for creating that Batman. You know, just like um, I think Christian Bale did a perfect job with Nolan's Batman um, in that real world kind of like no, like as far away from the comic books as you could possibly be. Like that's like to your point, Kyle, like you could actually see somebody like that doing that and being a vigilante like Christian Bale's Batman was. He was very brutal and in your face where Ben Affleck's Batman, Snyder's Batman was more, he's more tactical. He's brutal still, probably more dark and brooding um, and, you know, more vengeance filled. Um, but, but, but Batman's always full of vengeance. Um, uh, he, I'm going forever about that. I mean, just thankfully, thank God they're not George Clooney or Val Kilmer um, and even Adam West for that, for that sake. And that can't be version of Batman, but Ben Affleck would be my favorite Batman. <laughs> uh, you know, some days you can't get rid of a bomb, Kyle. Some days you can't. I'll say this is that uh, my favorite scene with Batman in it is actually not in the dark night. And it's not with Christian Bale either. My favorite scene is the warehouse scene in uh, Batman vs. Superman. And I think if the next Batman is anything like that scene, that's our truest form um, to the comics. That's the the Batman I really want to see. And and I'll say say this about the Dark Knight and the Nolan series. The one flaw that I think it really had is that the, the fighting choreography isn't really that great. And if um, you haven't watched it in a while, you should go back and watch it. 
because even the the endings uh, of you know the Dark Knight Rises where he's fighting Bane, it just it looks like it's really slow or off, and just it doesn't feel as authentic as like the warehouse scene, Batman vs Superman. That's just was brutal and and amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like no one's Batman was more of a brawler. Um, and everybody in that movie were brawlers, and then you get more uh, of a comic accurate style of fighting, very martial arty um, with Snyder's Batman. And and I think we're going to get that out of Battinson, uh, Matt Reeves' version too. Um, it's a good time to be a fan of Batman, and especially DC Comics, if you like the brooding, the brooding vigilante. I think just even for me, those the Nolan universe is just the choreography and the way it was shot. It just didn't look as authentic, and that that's the only thing I could really take away and say that's okay. a big problem that I have. The way that it was shot in BVS and Zack Snyder's Justice League was just um, it was a lot more real and authentic. Like you believe it, you believe it's actually happening, and maybe it's just kind of updated technology, uh, maybe different style of. Um, filming, I don't know, but yeah. that's the one uh, con I would say. Okay, that's a good con, and that's the first time I think I've ever heard you say anything negative about that that series of movies. <laughs> Still doesn't take away uh, their greatness. Yeah, oh, agreed, agreed. That it's it's tough to tough to put anything next to the Dark Knight, and especially Heath Ledger's performance on the Joker. So, speaking of the Joker and villains, Kyle. Let's have a part two of our Batman discussion, but let's make part two the next time we get together and podcast about Batman's rogues gallery of villains. How does that sound? That sounds great. And that's actually a good topic because we can definitely dedicate a whole podcast about that for sure. Yes. Yeah. So let's, let's venture down the dark world of the Jokers, the Riddlers, the Penguins, Mr. Freezes, and we'll even talk about the condiment King. So would you like to leave um, any words of wisdom for our people today, Kyle, before we depart? Um, yes. Remember this. It's not who I am underneath. It's what I do that defines me. Couldn't say it any better than that. Thank you for joining the Fourth Mother Box. You can find us on Facebook at exactly the Fourth Mother Box podcast, on Instagram at Fourth Mother Box. Thank you for joining and spending this whole hour and some change with us for listening to opinions you didn't ask for. But if you didn't last this long, what the hell?